Hello everyone, this is Allison Lebrun and welcome to Playdate, the podcast where we celebrate things like vulnerability and creativity and curiosity and discovery. And I am here today with an amazing friend of mine, an inspiring friend of mine. Her name is Mona. And we're so excited just to dive in and really jam around all the cool things that she's creating, including a business called Bra Theory. And we are actually in her business space, which is gorgeous. And you have pink velvet chairs, which I love. So, Mona, welcome. Well, thank you so much for that warm introduction. Um, Allison and I go way back. Um, but really, we met recently in the past few years. I don't know, two? Three, maybe? Three? Yeah, it could be three years. Um, and we really hit it off because... Allison is so full of curiosity, and I never really identified with curiosity before, but then I realized as she asked me more questions, what are you curious about? I'm like, all the things, all the things. Um, And one of those things that I was deeply curious about, it's somewhat of a lie, it's layered, I was angry about was, why do my bras never fit? Like, I don't know what this, I don't know what everyone else's shopping experience is, but it's almost a universal truth that you grow up putting yourself into a fitting room, getting really sweaty, trying on all the bras, the entire wall, um, and not really knowing why, like, one bra works over another. Sometimes you get different sizes for different stores, and you're like, wait, why? And then you try on the same size, different styles, doesn't fit. And there's just so much misinformation in the industry today that I, I'm trying to change that. Wow. I'm making the world a better place, one boob at a time. No, two boobs at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. I, I love it. And it's so awesome for me because I've heard you share about this since I met you. And it's amazing. Like last came, time I came to your apartment or your space, this was not here. And it's like, oh my God, you're growing, you're expanding. And I love how you decided to create something out of something that you were like not very happy with. That's so cool. So I mean, what this, you know, this podcast is all about play and I'm curious, was, has the process been playful for you? Like how does play fit into your process of creating this business? Yeah, that's such a good question. So, so in the beginning it was all play, right? Like when you're an entrepreneur and you're like, wait, you know, something's wrong with this, whatever this is, you're like, well, maybe I can do something about it. And it's not really a, a job per se yet. Um, and you're just making stuff up as you go along. <laughs> I heard a really great quote, which is entrepreneurs have a really tough job because they first have to invent it. And then then they have to convince people that they're good at their invented job. Hmm. But wow. that's how all jobs start. Yeah. Um, and so in the beginning, it was really, really playful. Um, at some point, it started to get really serious because it was like, it's been a year. Where are my results? Blah, 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 blah. And my head was just like spinning and, you know, judging myself. And I think we all will kind of be like, where are my results? Where are my results? Yeah. What was interesting was I met you, Allison, during that time. I was kind of like hitting like this like creative block, I would say. And I was just like about work. I was like, I need to make this happen. And around then I started to allow myself to play again. Mm. And I've always had this weird relationship with work. Like if I'm working for someone else, 
10 a.m. to 6 p.m., whatever your hours are, no Reddit, no Facebook, no nothing, no play, I will sit at this computer and work for you without going to the bathroom if that is necessary. It was just insane. Like, I don't know how I live like that, to be honest. Um, but I, I started incorporating play into my life. I started allowing some more space. Like, I remember this one day where I was like, I wonder if I can grow carrot tops from carrot tops with you know carrot greens from yeah. carrot tops and I was like no 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 I have to focus on bra theory <laughs> and then I was like no I'm, I'm just gonna do this and it took five minutes and it made me just so creative because I was like wow I just ran an experiment I wonder what kind of experiments I can run with bra theory mm. so it's definitely been a learning process Ooh, I love that that's so juicy it is so interesting how play is this like very expansive energy right that's what I love about it it's like Sometimes I'll play for 15 minutes and it feels like I just went on a vacation for a week. It's crazy. It'll come back to my desk and be like, whoa, like I have all these ideas. But I can so relate to you in like just that balance between being driven, wanting results, and then also wanting to just like have lots of open space time to just noodle around with random things like pom-poms and paints and other things. I'm curious, what did you like to play with when you were little? Okay, good question. Um, I liked to play with, I'm going to say drawings. Ooh. Um, so I remember in middle school, I, and you know, like ever since someone put a crayon or a pencil into my hand, I would just doodle. And I don't even remember this anymore. Like it's barely like flashes of memory, but I remember drawing an owl, painting an owl, and I got an award for it. I was so excited. I mean, looking back in time, I would look at the owl and be like, that is not an owl. That is not correct. It is not Picasso was kind of out of the box too, but it was not like factually correct, which mattered to me a lot after I had grown up. And so that was this interesting relationship with art where when I was younger, I just drew things and people loved them. And I used to draw these little napkins. So when it was my grandmother's birthday, I was like, what do I get her for her birthday? And I was like, let me take a paper towel and let me draw on it with crayons. And it's a handkerchief. <laughs> and there would be these like gorgeous things with like little flowers. Her favorite, I asked her what her favorite flower was. And when my grandparents and my mom and everyone else who I made these for received them, they would be like in tears. They'd be like, oh my Aww. gosh, Mona. So at some point they start saying, Mona, you're so talented. Mona, you're so talented. And then they like put me in a boot camp for like becoming a master artist. And it was all like black and white sketching of still life from that point on. And I was like, it, it honestly wasn't something I wanted to do because then that turned play into acquiring a skill with firm goals and etc. Um, but yeah, like it, I'm coming back to it now, which is the coolest part. I'm like loosening the boundaries of what I think is art and what is not and be like, you know what? I just want to make. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Wow. It's so juicy. And I love what you said about when play starts to have all these strict rules and boundaries on it, it starts to become like, uh-uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. So it's, you're really smart for identifying that early on. <laughs> like yeah. You just want freedom when you play. Um, 
So I'm curious to know, like, I know you have an obsession about bras, and <laughs> we were talking the other day about how I had read this quote uh, by this woman who said, you know, trust your obsessions, you'll know why later. So what has this obsession with bras and just, like, your boobs and your body, like, where has that led you? And Like, what have you discovered out of this really interesting obsession? Uh, yeah, it's so, it's so interesting, like... I'm trying to think, like, I've always had obsessions, but then I I usually go through them and I shut them down. I never say, like, I can do this. Mm. Um, and so this is a really particular obsession to me. Like, it's really close to my heart because, honestly, I was obsessed about bras because, first, I was obsessed about the problem with bras. Yeah. And it's been something that I've grown up with. Like, I'm not here because I just thought like oh yeah that that could be a problem it, it's because I had the problem and I I don't think it's uncommon in fact a lot of the women we've talked to it's not uncommon so it becomes an obsession for a lot of women like women will go to Victoria's Secret have a horrible time there <laughs> then they'll graduate and they'll go to a boutique have a slightly better time but like not guaranteed then like over the course of their entire lifetime it's it's funny but it's not funny that you know these bras that they find the perfect bras that they get um are going to just discontinue they'll disappear from the world because <laughs> the brand disappears or they the brand changes their sizing um and so it's it's always been a problem this this thing of bra shopping and I was at a point where I was so sick of it. I was just angry, irritated, like, and it's, it's, I think I called it this, a, a microaggression. <laughs> it's just like you're constantly wearing this uncomfortable thing, and when you have a billion other things on your mind, all of a sudden you have this obsession with this, like, oh my god, underwire. <laughs> um, and so that really gave me the fire to start researching. And then that was a period of time when I was following an obsession to research more. And I, I did get obsessed, absolutely obsessed with it um, for a period of time. And what's interesting, though, is I, I think um, there's like different stages uh, of I think mastery, I forget what it's called, when you're naively optimistic at first, <laughs> then you're informedly pessimistic, <laughs> and then you develop informed optimism again, and I'm and and then you get you you take off, and I think there was that like it's it's not all fun and games. Following an obsession, you know, you have the motivation in the beginning, and you you do have to you know, inform yourself and then figure it out from there to mm. to get past that and get back to informed optimism. And the scary thing about that is your original obsession, it might morph. It might completely change. <laughs> and you have to recognize that it's still the same obsession. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I just had this vision of you, like, writing a musical about, like, bras <laughs> called Bra Theory. <laughs> I mean, like, don't shut the business down, but, like, I was like, oh, I wonder if, like, do you see, like, this going in other interesting, this obsession going in other interesting directions? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I think it has to do with being so curious about all the things. So, like, I definitely see, like, bra theory. Um, I, I love music. <laughs> 
I sometimes walk through the subway and like I used to be really inhibited with like when and where I can sing or dance but sometimes I like feel like my life is a musical and I'm like ready to break out into song um I I definitely want to do that one day we should do it together yeah I would very much love to be involved in that in some way shape or form I don't quite know how but yes please like um well and I know like one of the things you shared is just well, it's so interesting because bras are something all women wear, right? Or I guess most women, maybe, I don't know if there are cultures in the world where women don't wear bras. That's interesting. But for a lot of us, it is just part of our daily, everyday experience. But we're also all different. Like we all have different body shapes. We have different ethnicities. So like, what have you discovered about that? You know, this thing that is common amongst all women, but yet like we're all different. Yeah, that's such a good question. Let me think about that. Bras, like humans and life and all things, are both an art and a science. Mm. There are complexities to us that science will probably never capture in two million light years. I, I actually don't know units of time. Like, let's just say two million light years. But maybe in three million, we'll understand the meaning <laughs> to life and how everything connects. And it's I I see um I see this type of thing as like women are beautifully complex. Different sizes, different breast widths, heights, different curvatures to the ribcage. It's all beautiful. Mm. Um, It is quite unique. I wouldn't say it's like perfectly a snowflake though. I I wouldn't say like every single person like is a completely different boob. Yeah. Um, I would say that there are a lot more variables that we're not considering. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Tech thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a lot more variables that we're not considering with just 34B or whatever your size is. So we need to meet in the middle. Mm. Like science needs to develop, and we, bra theory, need to develop the nomenclature, the like terminology, the process for uh, describing this beautiful complexity. And yet we also have to be okay with knowing that it'll never be described. But just, like, good enough, you know? Like, right now, we're not a good enough. We're definitely not a good enough. <laughs> um, and I think we can get closer and closer. Um, and mm. I don't know if I gave some context, but bra theory is that custom-made bra. We're bringing custom back. Okay. I love that. Yes! Custom-made! I love I love that for clothing. I love that. So, um, what is it like... I mean, the women that come to you and, you know, you design and make this, like, custom bra for them. Like, what is that experience like? What do you see it creates for them in their world? What does it make available? And what does it contribute to you? Oh, my gosh. All the things. Um, I will say we spent a lot of time in research and development because we're building something that doesn't exist. Um, So we did that. And then recently we've been getting customers um, and just they motivate us so much because there's I like to always point out our North Star metric which is I think a term that (laughs) marketers use Um, uh, but our North Star metric is really a woman who we know who wrote into us about her bra problems she is something like a 38M wow and she's she's never found a bra that fits and in fact she's tried store after store after store after you know like 
all these like different like lingerie companies, e-commerce, they're all trying their best. All of these companies are trying their best for this woman. Um, but the system doesn't serve her because mm. what ends up happening is she tries on bra after bra after bra and every bra means you're not enough you're not enough no one cares about you no one's building this thing for you the next thing won't work either it's like reinforced messages of being an outsider um and so when she wrote into us uh it just completely touched my heart and Mm. she she was in Iowa. She won't be in New York City for the near future, but we're remembering her. And I have her like kind of like on this like vision board where I'm like, we're going to make this thing for you. It's going to happen. Wow. Um, so there is that type of customer. And then we also have real customer. I mean, you know, in-person customers today, customers um, who we get to see their smiles. We get to give them some a little bit of bra therapy you know (laughs) because they're like wait I think I'm a size 38 ddd but maybe I just haven't figured out my true size yet and I'm like honey like no true size doesn't exist Hmm. sizes aren't they're supposed to be standard but they're not standard um and so we get to kind of like let them know where where honestly the industry has been failing um And we get to build an amazing bra for them. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. I love bra therapy. That's so so juicy. It's so juicy. Um, Hmm. What else, like, what else are you excited to share about? What has been the most, maybe the strangest thing you've experienced inside of having a business, creating your own business, growing a business? Oh, the strangest thing. Oh, I I guess I have to say this. So I think I'm going through what people call and what maybe I myself call a spiritual awakening (laughs) because of bra theory, because of my business. Um, and honestly, I think it's because I lived in my head for so long. And I had I, I grew up um, in a Chinese-American family. Um, no hint of religion. Very science-based. Uh, there is a stereotype that uh, Asian parents, first-generation immigrants, are doctors, lawyers, or some other reputable thing. <laughs> reputable, quote-unquote. And um, that's what my parents wished for me dearly. And they still kind of tell me, like, hey, how's brother? You know, NYU has full scholarship to medical school. I'm like, I'm 28. I'm done. <laughs> Not this lifetime, mom and dad. Um, but as a result, I grew up not really having anywhere to believe in. And as a result, I kind of didn't believe in anything, not even myself. Everything was either right or wrong. Everything was mm. under the world of science. I, I didn't understand art anymore. Mm. Um, and raw theory, uh, running your own business, just generally speaking, really confronts you with all the questions. Like, why do you do what you do? What wakes you up in the morning? If you don't have an answer, if there is no right or wrong, you're like, ah, what do I do? And so um, for the first time ever, I tapped into my desires. I want this bra. For the first time ever, I tapped into confidence, I maybe I can do this. I can do this. I'm doing it. It's still kind of like in the process of turning into like a full I'm doing it. But 
Um, it's it's definitely like unsettled or up shifted, whatever the word is. My entire worldview. Um, I'm much less rigid in my thinking nowadays. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I, it's it's been amazing. Mm. I love that. I love, I mean, anyone who's crazy enough and bold enough to start a business from scratch that doesn't even exist yet and is literally solving a problem that really no one else is solving is super creative, super bold, super courageous. And I'm like, oh my God, and you're 28. Like, wow, <laughs> that's incredible. You already, like, if you just laid on the couch and ate bonbons for the rest of your life with like bras surrounded by bras, you'd be like fully successful in my opinion. But hey, that's just my opinion. <laughs> What's your definition of success? Oh my gosh, what a juicy question. Mm. Oh, if I tap in, there's like, um, there's a mental like response to that. And I'm like, help people and make money. But that's kind of like in my mind. Like I've been trying to like tune into what exactly is success to me. Mm. And I'm not sure the jury's still out because those are my top layer answers for you. But deep down... Maybe make an impact. Mm. Spread the love as far and wide as I can. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I love how you're so open to being curious, you know? I think there's... Well, I don't know. We live in the New York City area, so everyone here is, like, up to something, and they're on a mission, or they've got a job, and they're producing results, and, like, sometimes it can be, like, hard to, like, find curiosity, in my opinion. Maybe that's my story, so I'm going to delete that, but, (laughs) but, yeah, I mean, like, it's a very goal-oriented place, and people are really up for, like, you know, the definition of success, which is, like, make a ton of money, or whatever, you know, like, have high prestige, which is all great, but I love how you are, like, allowing yourself to be in process and like also be like maybe it could be both like you can make a lot of money help a lot of people and you can like spread the love and like you know it's like and 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 like yes and so that's so juicy I love that (laughs) I just wanted I just wanted to make a comment about that whole success thing always be productive I can't tell you how many times I do this like fear exercise where like I really don't want to do something and I have to like write it down like what's preventing me from doing this like why am I afraid and a lot of times when I write down my negative thoughts it's like what if I'm not productive enough at this event this fun event what if I'm not productive enough it's I go on these ladies retreats which are so amazing and so refreshing and I I go in with the question what am I doing to be productive enough yeah and then I'm like, producing what? <laughs> That's my question. When I wrote it down on the paper, I was like, wait, what exactly am I trying to produce? Because unless I figure out what success means, and in that case, success means, I don't know, relaxing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a retreat. Yeah, like relaxing, connecting. Yeah, I can so, it's, it's hard being a type A person <laughs> who's also very curious. <laughs> it's always that like balance. Oh, this has been so, so delicious. And I'm really excited for people to connect. We have a couple more segments in this podcast where we dive into your exciting, creative, self-expressive projects. And then also, um, let's just let everyone know where they can find you at the end of the segment. So where can they find Bra Theory? You can find Bra Theory at www.brotheory.com. 
We're also in Soho, Manhattan, if you want to drop by and become a bra theory wearer. <laughs> um, so yeah, hit me up and uh, I answer all emails. So awesome. yeah. Yes, you're amazing. Mona. I know how busy you are. So this has been so juicy, so exciting. We'll see you all soon. Take care. Hello, everyone. I am so, 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 so excited. This is Allison Lebrun, and welcome to Playdate. This is a podcast that's really all about celebrating the juicy beingness of play, like curiosity and vulnerability and discovery and exploration. And I am here today with my beautiful friend, <laughs> Mona, who just inspires me so, so much. I'm so excited for you all to get to hang out with her and just hear about all the incredible things that she's up to including running a business called bra theory and then also like a zillion other really interesting things so mona welcome thank you so much um i'm so happy to be here and playing with y'all um because sometimes i don't know i sometimes get into that mindset of like work is work and play is play but it doesn't have to be that way and that's something that allison has taught me over time um but for my main gig, what I'm doing is I started it not because I was like, I'm going to start a business, but I was like, there needs to be a better fitting bra in the world. And then I went ahead and did it. And the entire time I was like, you know, I'm not sure this is a real business, but I'm actually stepping into it now and being like, wow, this is a problem for women and I can do something about it. And it's my main gig right now. So bra theory is the thing. Um, I also love doing a lot of different things. So as Alice mentioned, I, I sing, I dance, I improv, I, I go skiing. I think there's something inside me that like I'm deathly afraid of all of these things. And yet a part of me really wants to play. And it knows that that fear is like, you know, it's just part of the whole package and part of being human. But there's something there beyond that fear that really makes everything worthwhile. Ooh, that is so juicy. <laughs> I love that. I love that you like move towards the fear. So I'm curious, have you always been this way? Like as a child, were you really driven to go towards the fear? What did you play with as a child? What were you curious about as a child? That's such a good question. Let me think about it. So when I was really young, I did have this fear. On my first day of kindergarten, I remember being at the top of my staircase, paralyzed, like clinging to the staircase. And my mother was looking up at me saying like, okay, it's your first day of kindergarten, you're going to school. And I was like, no mommy, I won't be the best. Yeah, so there was this deep drive in me to be the best. And I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what school entailed. I don't know where that came from, but there has been a drive to succeed and also a fear to succeed. And that can be really complicated and juicy mm -hmm. to untangle. Um, but the other things I was interested in, I used to um, play with stuffed animals, tell stories behind them. That's, that's the thing that I really remember because I would just 
create these universes with these animals. It was called Animal Kingdom. There was an economy. There was politics. There were many, many stories. I think in a different lifetime, I would have been like a screenplay writer or like a children's book something. Um, and I think that's still in me, which is the cool part. Like I'm 28 now. I'm discovering new things about what I can bring to the world, and all of this is still in me. Oh my gosh, I just love you. <laughs> I, I can't step over what you said about the fear of success and the, the wanting to be the best and also the drive to be successful. And I, I have to say, I can totally relate to that. I used to, well, I played competitive sports growing up. I played competitive tennis and squash. And I was always either number one or number two. And um, when we would play board games as a family, if I didn't win, I would, like, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I would literally stomp away off the <laughs> stairs I was so mad and so yeah for me too it's been this really interesting unraveling of like what is that about like so I'm curious to know like what have you unraveled what have you discovered about that interesting thing you know what's kind of funny there's so much to unravel but the thing that jumped to my mind was like you know sometimes when you lose you still figure out a way to win and it can be really interesting um what what that strategy is for you. So like for me, if I lost a game to my brother, I would manipulate him into thinking that the rules of the game were different. <laughs> I would just tell him, no, you're wrong. This is how the game works. I win because X. And I make it up on the spot. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't know. Like I actually do think that part of my success nowadays comes from knowing how to work with people and to change the rules of the game. Yeah. That is so, so juicy. I mean, that's delicious. Like, what a way to take something that most people might see as like, oh, this is a block to my being able to do the things I want to do and actually have it like become the like fuel or like the reason why you're able to create outside the box, right? Right, right. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else behind that fear. Um, yeah, I'll have to get back to you on on more of that. It's still a process. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lifetime process. I know for me, when I started doing Access Consciousness, they're all about asking questions. And one of my favorite tools for when, like, I quote-unquote lose or quote-unquote fail, like, I also was like, oh, there's no such thing as failure. That was another, like, paradigm I adopted maybe, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Was they ask, they have this cool question that's what's right about this that I can't see. And so what I love about that is, like, it puts my mind into a state of curiosity, which I imagine was where your mind goes. So instead of being like, oh, I've lost some a failure, that means I should stop. It's like, oh, this didn't work the way I wanted to, but like, what's right about it? Like, how could I actually like turn it into a win for me rather than a loss? Right. Like sometimes when we think that success looks a certain way, like if we were inflexible with our definition of success, we can't see the success that it really is. It happens all the time. (laughs) But I love what you just said. I also think of it just like, what can I learn from this? Like, how can you fail if you're learning? Yeah. You cannot. And I just can't, like, you know, I'm just thinking back to those times. I've been reading a lot of, like, Growth Mindset, Fixed Mindset by Carol Dweck. Great book. Um, And just, like, thinking about what I was like when I was a child. And, like, when I was learning to walk, I did not get stuck because I stumbled every step. Right. It was part of the game. And sometimes you scrape your knee, but that's okay. And, like, 
I want to tap into that inner child again. I knew that's why we're like, I have so much fun with you. (laughs) Inner child energy, it's just the best. And I kind of wonder, like, do you have a lot of serial entrepreneur friends or friends that are entrepreneurs? And do you notice that this is a common sort of element? Or what what do you notice about being around other people in the entrepreneurial world? Yeah, that's a really good question. I I would say that they have a goal in mind and they just pursue it. And fears happen. Struggles will always happen under the covers, but one way, one how, anyhow, they uh, they never give up. Um, and that's always a choice you have to make. Sometimes it does make sense to throw in the towel, but other times it's just like, how can I make something out of this? How can I make something out of this? And just every day you're playing make-believe. Ooh, wow. It's amazing. So I know, how many years ago did you start Bra Theory? And was it literally just one day you had this you know, problem present? You were <laughs> aware of this problem, that there just aren't good enough bras for women? Like, what, how, what did that process look like? That's so um, such a great question. So I started it almost three years ago. So we're November will be three years. And when I started it, it was because I've always had this problem. Like I've always gone bra shopping, and only now have I realized how deeply traumatic bra shopping is. <laughs> you go in there, you try on all the bras. Someone's telling you what's right, what's wrong. Like, oh, you're a 34B. No, you're not a 34B. You're a 30C. And then you're like, wait, but there are no standards in the bra sizing industry. So how can you even say that to me? This is what I discovered later. But it's just a process where you're like going shopping. All you want is a bra that works. And then you're told that you fit in these labels when these labels are not enough to describe what, how complex you are. Your breasts, your preferences, like all sorts of things. So I just, I honestly had a lot of baggage. I realize this now where I was like, oh my gosh, my boobs aren't big enough. They're not pretty enough. They're always, nothing ever fits me. I'm an outsider. No one cares about me. Like all of these messages come from bra shopping and never finding anything. Um, and honestly, I think it's it's a problem. It's a problem in the industry. It's a problem with not having things that are made for you. They're like made for buckets, and then you fit yourself into the bucket. And what happens is if you're a minority, life sucks. And you see it happening everywhere in society today. Like Asian Americans with crazy rich... Uh, uh, yeah, Crazy Rich Asians. I'm Asian American, so I like I cried buckets when I saw that movie. And it was because I have grown up not receiving the message, there's something for you here. Wow. So with bras, I've always experienced that, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I was just really angry. <laughs> like, I went around, I was like, why do bras not work? Oh my God, this is so stupid. And I would just like go around saying that. And eventually someone like caught me complaining and they're like why don't you do something about it and they were saying well it sounds like you can because I started coming up with these ideas too and then that gave me the push and the confidence I was like wait I can be the person who solves this problem and I honestly didn't have a lot of self-confidence self-esteem but I was like you know what this is worth pursuing I'm gonna try it 
Wow. So that's what happened three years ago. You are amazing. <laughs> you are so amazing. I mean, wow, wow, wow. I'm just blown away by your courage and your willingness to step out, you know, being really pissed about something and be like, I'm going to be the one that steps out and makes a difference in this. It's so, so awesome. And it's why the world is like only getting better because people like you are stepping out. So, I mean, did you, you know, you mentioned like being Asian American growing up, like, did you feel like there weren't many pictures? Like, did you see images like, and like, you know, I know like the broad advertising and the clothing advertising like do you remember seeing images of women or girls that looked like you when you were growing up honestly no and I can like name off my hand all the instances that I felt so underrepresented like I I mentioned that I made up a lot of stories when I was younger I wanted to be a novelist but there are no Asian American novelists in my head and I was like well if I do write a novel I'm gonna name myself something white like like I sounded like I came from Oxford am I like John Edwards that will be my name I don't even know John Edwards is a politician bad idea <laughs> but I was like seriously I wanted to be called something like Madeline Lengel instead of like Mona Zhang because who's gonna read something by Mona Zhang wow um, so that was there and then in terms of clothing not fitting I think this is a particular problem that America has America is a beautiful wonderful country with such diversity and we have a lot of growing pains certainly but one of the things that's happening is our people are so diverse and their bre- breasts bodies everything is so diverse that we have a unique problem where certain people are not getting represented and it makes it very difficult to go through life you're just receiving the same message. It's not just about the product. It's definitely about the message. Like, nope, no bras for you. Yeah. It just so happens that you have wide set, tall set breasts, and those are more Asian. Yeah. So you need to move back to Asia. You need to. I I know Asian American women who fly to Malaysia, and when wow. they're there, they buy bras for themselves. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Actually, I remember going to Australia. I studied abroad and we went into Chinatown and I was trying on clothes. I don't remember. So like, but I just remember the clothes not fitting me because I was like, oh, my shoulders are like too wide. Like, oh, my God, I'm this massive giant compared to these teeny like cute clothing. Um, But I that sucks. Like, it sucks that you had that experience, especially like. I feel like our bodies are so sacred, right? And, like, to feel like our body isn't welcome or, like, isn't wanting... Isn't, like, there isn't something available to adorn it. It just, like, really can put a real, like, rain cloud over your experience of yourself. Like, if you were to write a letter to your breasts, like, when you were, like, your budding breasts when you were... (laughs) I don't know how old you were. um, But, like, now, what would you say? That's so funny because I wrote one. So it was actually February 14th, 2018. This past year, it was Valentine's Day, and I wrote an open love letter to my breasts. And it was so um, sad and yet, and yet beautiful because I, I realized how much I blamed my breasts for everything. I was like, oh my God, you're too small, blah, 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 you're... I'm stuck with you, like all these mean things I said to my breasts, but all along I I love them. I like absolutely love that they've given me my mission in life. Like who knew that having misshapen, they're not even misshapen, let's be real, it's just uniquely shaped, 
who knew that having unique breasts could spawn, like, shed light on this problem and give me a purpose with what I'm doing right now. Um, and so I thanked them. I said sorry. <laughs> I also said I forgive you. You gave me a lot of trouble. I forgive you. Um, yeah, and I said I love you. That's so beautiful. You have amazing breasts. <laughs> They're like so powerful and so badass. I love that. They're like mavericks. <laughs> I don't know what's the word. Someone used the word the other night at an event I was at. Um, influencers. They're influencers. Be influencers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag influencer breasts. Um, so I'm curious. What have you discovered? Like, so in with your whole adventure with bra theory I'm imagining you talk to a lot of women about their breasts and like what, what have you discovered oh my gosh so much so much um, the system isn't working for a minority of women the ones who it's working for it's kind of like anywhere from like 10% to like 90% of like satisfaction with bras um, it's it's unfortunate I would say um, because women nowadays, I'm, I'm getting stuck here in terms of what I want to say. Let me think about it for a second. I don't know. What have I discovered? Sometimes it's not about the bra, and sometimes it is. The truth of the matter is that your perfect bra does not necessarily exist out there. Mm. It's really difficult for this system of like mass production, ready to wear, um, for this to satisfy every single customer because we're all so unique. Yeah. However, we are at a point where like you can get 90% of the way. And a lot of women will say, okay, 90%, that's good enough. You know, I don't got time for this. I don't have money for this. And they settle for what I like to call, like, microaggressions by the bra industry. <laughs> so, like, some women are like, well, it kind of hurts in the center, but that's okay. I mean, this is the closest it can get. I'll deal with this. And what we don't realize is that a lot of women are just going through small, small, small microaggressions of, like, oh, a strap here or there, like, a little bit of pain here or there. And over time, it accumulates. Um, we're finding that there are some women out there who are just completely underserved by the market. And it's so sad, and we need to change it. I have, like, her name on, like, a wall saying, I'm building this for this woman. She wow. lives in, like, Midwest. She has very large breasts. She's something like a 38M. Cups wow. do get very large. She's tried everything. She's gone to, like, every store, department store, whatever. Um, she responded to a post about bra theory uh, with, I was asking, well, like, you know, do you care about aesthetics? Do you just want a bra that feels good and fits? And she goes, does a poor man without sneakers care about their color? Something like that. Mm. Um, and she's just been in tears um, time and time again because no matter where she goes, it feels like no one is listening. And no one is able to solve that problem. And you know the scary part about running a nascent business that's still growing? Is that in the beginning, we can't either. To be completely transparent, we are building it right now. Yeah. So there are moments when we'll have our early beta customers come in. And for the first fitting, maybe it doesn't fit exactly like they think. And then we 
we are encountered with that deep disappointment and we're like, no, we want to change this, but there are going to be some growing pains here. Yeah. Um, so that's been one of the hugest struggles for me as a business owner. I'm like, I want this to be perfect for you. I am going to build this for you. But how do we make sure that we, we do it with empathy along the way and try not to keep perpetuating that message? Like, we try to do it by saying, if something's wrong, it's us. It's our algorithm. It's not your body at all. We're just not there yet. Wow. That is so incredible. I literally was just talking to my boyfriend about this the other day after going to the vet, which I know is like a completely different company, but I felt like really made wrong by the vet, you know, and he was kind of like shaming us into buying certain products from him and doing certain tests. And honestly, I was like really just present to like, he didn't know the answer to solve this problem. Like our cat is over grooming and he was basically just essentially using his power to manipulate us into spending money on things that were not necessary. And I really honor and celebrate that you're creating a company where people feel like honored in their experience of attempting to use your product. Because I don't know, I was just present to like, I'm like, how many times do people all over the world feel this way whenever they're doing anything, you know, just feel like manipulated because this person of authority, quote unquote, is supposed to be like, has the answers, you know, so. Right. Yeah. So one thing that is my biggest pet peeve in the bra industry is that everyone tells you like 80% of women are wearing the wrong bra size. And it's just a fact that has been perpetuated because there was like a single study with like 30 sample size, like just 30 women in it, which is not representative of all the women in the world. Um, And people just keep saying it. It's because of the nature of media. Um, BuzzFeed will say it, Vogue will say it, this bra fitter will say it, and no one will fact check. And then all of a sudden, you just have a lot of women being like, am I the problem? Am I not doing it right? Am I not shopping right? And so people with authority or people who are trying to sell you a product will use fear-based marketing to try to get you in their door. And I'm right now trying to encounter, like, I want to run bra theory with integrity. That's what's super important to me. And I'm trying to figure out how to represent my business and represent the facts and what we know, what are hypotheses, and why our product is simply superior to other people's, but at the same time, not push you anything. Not, like, be too icky about sales and not, like, say, like, well, if you don't buy a bra, you will be miserable forever. (laughs) No, like, you'll be happier, I think. We guarantee it. Um, But, you know... We just want to avoid that whole situation, which is a problem with so many companies today. Yeah, it really, I call it um, clean, not gross. <laughs> you're doing clean, not gross marketing. <laughs> Thank you. That's it's good. so awesome. Yeah. Um, so you're like, you're like the whistleblower for the bra industry. <laughs> yeah. I, so I haven't fully stepped into that yet. Mm-hmm. When I first started this company three years ago, um, I was a whistleblower for sure. I was like, I have a serious problem with bras, and this is what I'm going to do about it. But now that I'm running a business, I understand I've developed so much empathy for bra businesses out there. It's not that anyone has like completely ill intentions when trying to market their product or selling you things. It's just sometimes it's they just don't know any better. They don't know the harmful effects of their messaging. Sometimes they're trying their best, and they. Yeah. Ooh, yummy pizza <laughs> is coming. This is awesome. Um, sometimes bra companies are trying their best, um, but they they can't. They can't work within the system. Like 
I've asked these wonderful lingerie entrepreneurs who are trying to tackle one part, like let's say sports bras. They're trying to fix sports bras. And I ask, but what about the fit? You can't possibly keep making these sizes 34B, 34C, 30 whatever, and fitting women to them. And they say, we know and we just want to help the people who can be helped by our product. Mm. So it's great. Like, it all comes from a good place. The issue is that the customer just generally thinks, like, what the heck is going on here when she's trying to shop for one? Yeah, someone always ends up getting left out, and it's whoever it doesn't fit into the model that they created, which is usually based off of, like, one person, right? They choose one woman to create all their clothing, and if you don't have a body like that woman you're you know that's too bad <laughs> and that is that sucks I love that you're doing this and I am so excited because I feel like a lot I'm seeing this slowly pop up within a lot of industries like mission-driven entrepreneurs who are committed to not only having a business that solves a problem but like doing it with like transparency and integrity and really creating a business that like maybe even is like a win-win-win where it's like problems are getting solved that you may not even know are getting solved but it's just because you're doing it in such alignment with your beliefs and your values and also like with values that are just like fundamentally human you know that like no one gets left out like who likes getting left out that sucks you know yeah for sure and it's definitely to balance that with like I think it really is about setting up expectations, communicating to your customer. Because even for a custom bra company, you can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. Um, and it's like, how do we balance that? Um, and it's it's tricky, but I think that's all part of the play here. <laughs> Getting back to play. <laughs> well, I want to let you... So we're in Amazing Peace Food Cafe. I want to give them a shout-out in um, on East 11th Street in the village in New York City. And how lucky are we? It's like the best vegan restaurant, in my opinion, in New York City. So Mona just got an amazing vegan pizza, and I want to give her a chance to eat it. But we're going to be back in a little bit um, just to chop more into like some juicy play topics because I know you have a really cool self-expression challenge going on for yourself and we also met at this really interesting class called Senmo so yes so we'll see you all in a little bit thank you I'm gonna enjoy this delicious pizza (laughs) see you soon we're back we're back we're back and in this episode a segment I'm so excited to just dive into the topic of self-expression because Mona is just Someone, I just love, I love how you have as much curiosity as me. I feel like it's so rare to meet people that are as, like, curious and as into, like, just kind of trying things just because you're curious about them. So what are your current kind of juicy self-expression curiosity? So I'm so curious about what I can make. Like, the sky is the limit. Maybe not even. (laughs) Um, And it's so funny that you say, like, I'm as curious as you because when I first met you and you were like, what are you curious about? I was like, nothing. Curiosity is not a thing. (laughs) It is all about rationality, productivity, goals, success. (laughs) But, you know, like, that was what my brain was thinking, but there was something else going on inside of me that was always curious. Like, when I wasn't watching, I'd, like, dive into deep, deep problems like bras and sometimes, um, I don't know, into physics. I'll just, like, do all sorts of things. Um, But what's really, what I've unlocked recently that I'm really curious about is, like, what kind of art can I make? Mm. And I've never thought of myself as an artist. 
like I, I mentioned I wanted to be a novelist. I wanted to be, um, well, I drew when I was younger. I forgot to mention that. I, I drew a little cartoon series, and then I tried to make people, like, pay for it, I think. <laughs> but not necessarily pay, but pay in, like, child dollars, whatever that meant, like, honeysuckles, something like that. Um, and I used to, like, just partner with this, like, cute boy in my class and then we would draw things together and it was like a circus and then I I just had so many stories and art within me but at a certain point it got like squashed out of me <laughs> well which happens sometimes you become a teenager you become self-conscious your parents put you in like a boot camp and you're like oh my god this is serious now this is no longer play this is work and I have to become the top sketcher of that's what my parents did anytime we showed any inkling of interest or curiosity in anything they were like we will make you the Olympic blank <laughs> so now I've kind of untangled some of that and now I'm like oh what what would it feel like just to sing right what would it feel like just to dance um, what would it feel like to draw I haven't really uncracked that yet, but singing and dancing and moving my body, being in my body is how it's really manifested lately. Ooh, I I love, I just love your courage. You're so awesome. It's so rare that like a human being would literally face their worst fear ever. I mean, especially childhood fears, right? And be like, and like, what would it be like if I just tried that anyway? It's like, that's so cool. So I know you have a self-expression. I saw you post it on Facebook. You have a self-expression challenge that you, like a self-challenge. What is that about? Tell me more about that. Okay. So one of my deep set fears is um, singing in front of people, like on the spot. Me? Or dancing. Oh my God, me too. <laughs> it's terrifying. As soon as you like, if I were like sing into this podcast now, oh my God, my mind goes blank and like my shivers in my soul. And it's, um, it's interesting because I've always felt that way. I've always felt uncomfortable being seen, watched. I feel like I have to be perfect if I'm going to sing. I have to be prepared, rehearsed, type A personality. Um, but you know what happened last year was actually I was hitting this like spiritual rut. Essentially, I didn't know it at the time, but I was just feeling really down. And I didn't know what to look for what to do and then as I was like sitting on a yoga mat meditating contemplating like the emptiness of life it was miraculous that I just started to sing and words and melodies began to pour out of me and I was like what the heck is happening I guess I had this all along when you are stripped of all those other thoughts what happens what is the essence of you and it turns out my body and my soul and my heart had an answer and then I was like oh wow this is really cool but I'm not going to do this in front of anyone this is my sacred thing my private thing and I will never never show anyone my voice because it's never going to be perfect enough and then over time I just started recording myself I started sending it to a couple of friends Recently, I committed to a seven-day challenge of just singing live and dancing live. Wow. Every day this week. Oh. <laughs> oh, 
Oh my god. I literally am getting like chills and dingles on my arms. And I'm also hearing in my head like, ooh, I want to do that too. But it, like it feels so intensely scary. Oh, you're such a maverick again. I love it. <laughs> An influencer. Because I, well, I texted you before this interview being like, would you want to start a self-expression sisterhood? And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. But... Because I notice the same thing. When I'm not expressing myself, I go into a deep depression. And I wonder if, you know, those of you that are listening out there, maybe you have the same experience. I, I don't know. Like, I think there's probably a lot of people that just have this desire to express ourselves. But, like, you know, for whatever reason, we w- didn't get that nurtured when we were growing up. And so now it's, like, the time. Yeah, and like when you think about it, like what is depression? Depression is like the stopping of movement, the stopping of sound, the stopping of desire and like any sort of motivation within you. And that's so interesting to me because I have realized, I think, there's like a deep physiological, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical connection between all of these things where the more that we feel it's unsafe to just say what's on our minds. Mm -hmm the more sad we're going to get. Um, and it's it's like, I don't know how, but like one way or one how. Why I keep saying that, but I don't think it's a thing. But one way or one how. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's a way to suddenly realize, like, what is the worst that can happen if I do this? Yeah. Will I die? Probably not. <laughs> but it feels like death. It always does. Yeah. Um, something that I've realized after finally doing this this challenge, oh my god, day one, I really didn't want to do it. I was not in the right place for it. I happened to be in an Italian restaurant in the Bronx, not at home where I had plans to do it. And I was like, I can't dance in this restaurant. Let me go to the bathroom and do something quick. And so I did. I felt like it was a cop-out. But I did it. It wasn't exactly what I had envisioned, but I did something. And so honoring that really helped. And then the second thing was, it's morphing over time. Like, I was like, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I will broadcast myself live. It was a good idea in practice, but everything's an experiment. And I realized that my schedule doesn't really adhere to that. Like, I need some flexibility. So now it's just like live, spontaneous, anytime, just once a day. And then the third thing I learned was, after you go live, you, like, there's this, like, insurmountable fear, and I'm like, oh my god, everyone's gonna watch, no one's gonna watch, everyone's going to watch and laugh, no one's going to watch and laugh, (laughs) and, like, you're just running through all these possibilities, but then when it comes down to it, the result is beautiful, because, of course, I'm not gonna get, like, a thousand viewers and have them all shame me, I'm gonna get, like, one, two, three viewers, two, one, it'll go up and down, and it'll be my friends being like, I wonder what Mona is up to. Oh my god, this is so cool. Yeah. And so, I just felt the love. I didn't feel judgment, which is what I have been imagining, and let's be real, some people might be judging me, but, like, (laughs) The friends who, like, tune in and just show how much they care and they, like, honor my courage, like, that's what's really important to me. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it it's getting easier and easier. That being said, it's a muscle. And <laughs> after this week, uh, we'll see how it goes. I love it. I mean, one thing that is so cool I hear is, like, you created it for yourself. You know, you weren't creating it because you wanted to get views or applause or anything. And, like... 
that's exactly this podcast. It's totally for me. Like, I'm like, how does it get any better? I get to hang out with awesome people that I love and like, and I get to share them with whoever listens, which I don't even know who it is, you know, like, and so it just, it like, it's scary to do and it's scary to post the podcast. But at the end, I'm like, but I don't really care because it's so fun for me. You know what I mean? So I hear like, you're having fun with yourself and that. I mean, it's so translatable. Like, for those... I mean, we're not on TV, so you guys, you all can't see. But Mona's just glowing. She's this gorgeous being. And she's so awesome to be with. Like, you're so awesome to be with. So, I'm just celebrating you, damn courage, girl. Oh, thank <laughs> you. And you, too. This podcast, amazing. Girl, you got some ovaries, and I like it. <laughs> So we'll keep you all posted. I don't know what self-expression sisterhood is even, but we're downloading it. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And I'm inspired. I honestly also, it's so weird. I love singing. Like maybe 10, this is like 15 years ago. I was, where I was living in Rhode Island. It was the winter and it was like so cold and so dark. And I would go for these walks in the morning and just kind of be in nature. And I just started singing out of nowhere. And I was like... And they were these magical songs, and but I would never share them with anyone because I was like, nobody can hear me. <laughs> like they would, I'm so out of tune. Like, but um, you know, when I'm in the car sometimes with Mahesh, my boyfriend, like I love singing, and yeah. So part of me is like also like, yeah, I just feel this urge to sing more too. Um, and so and wow, singing public, that's like wholly scary. So <laughs> thank you for inspiring me. Thank you. And like one one thing I want to point out is it's so funny because I sing in two different ways. If I have my brain on and fear on and I'm like thinking about the consequences of sounding bad, <laughs> um, I, I try to sing like this. It's how I've been trained to sing. I can keep a tone, but that's it. And it's not me. It's actually not me. The one that wants, like, I, I can't really show my face right now, and I can't really figure out what song wants to come out, but if I really tune in to what I want to sing, it's a very different voice, and it's like, Aah! it's all over the place. Wow. And some people might argue that that's not song, but I would argue that that is your yeah. song. Yeah, it's your like soul song or your heart song. You know, it's like this the song that is you, your essence song. I love that. Oh my God, Mona, it has been so juicy and pleasurable to hang out with you. I'm so grateful you took the time. I know you're a one busy lady. So um, we'll do one quick episode just so you can share with people where they can find you. So if they want to follow you on your self-expression challenge or they want to know more about broth theory. Um, so we'll be right, right, right back. Okay, thank yeah. you. All right, everyone, I wanted to give you a chance to connect with Mona on the interwebs. So, Mona, where can people find you? So, you can find me and Bra Theory at www.brawtheory.com. It is B-R-A-T-H-E-O-R-Y. A lot of people don't know what bra is when I say it to them. And they're like, B-R-A? <laughs> I have to tell you next time about the time I talked about bra theory with a bunch of 11-year-old middle school students trying to learn advanced mathematics. Thank you. <laughs> um, which was the best thing ever. But they were like, are you serious? B-R-A? <laughs> That's a juicy story. I'm definitely having you back on this podcast to share that story. I really love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can follow Bra Theory there, and you can follow me on Instagram. It's Hazelnut, 
Hazel Y, not one two one. Awesome. Oh my god. Juicy, juicy, juicy. So we'll have Mona back, of course, because she's awesome and she's fun and she just basically did a little um, foreshadowing of a, a story for the next podcast. So we'll, thank you all for listening. We love you and we'll see you next time on Playdate. Bye. <laughs>